0: You and serve you, and thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a body of believers to celebrate. Lord, we celebrate this morning, Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Christ and all he accomplished and all he did, Father. And we just pray that as we continue in a spirit of worship. Father, as you speak to us through your word, that your name would receive honor and glory. Father, just open up the eyes of our hearts for the person this morning that may not be certain, that may be questioning, that may be seeking, that may be skeptical. Father, I pray the Spirit would fall upon the heart of that person even now. And they would be open to your word and to your truth. Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit, we would be transformed this moment More and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, today is Resurrection Day. It's a day we celebrate peace and joy and hope. But for so many in the world, oftentimes hope is a hard thing to come by. You turn on the television station or you pull up the internet or you open the local newspaper and you realize in a hurry whether it's internationally with, with wars and rumors of wars and struggles and starvation or wh- whether it's nationally or whether it's even within y- your own family and, and the struggles that you have in, in your marriage or, or maybe with your children or at work or, or finances, we understand sometimes hope is a hard thing to come back. And so maybe you've come this morning because it's Easter Sunday morning And you wanted to come worship Maybe you've come this morning because you're excited about the resurrection But maybe you're here even within the quietness of your own heart And maybe you haven't even said this to anybody Maybe you're not even completely certain of it yourself But maybe you've come this morning seeking hope And you just realize that your life is kind of a mess (laughs) <laughs> Maybe some things have happened in your marriage or in your job or, or with your children And you're just, you're just seeking and you desire to know more And you just hope this morning you can, you can walk away with something more Maybe you believe there's hope somewhere out in the world. I believe, and I think the Scripture teaches, that real hope, deep and abiding hope, can only come from one source, and that's Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I really want to speak to the heart of the person that's a little uncertain. I really want to speak to the heart of a person that's maybe a little skeptical the heart of the person that came this morning and is not quite sure about not only the death burial but certainly the the, the resurrection of Christ. And and so I want to kind of think through three main areas with you this morning and and answer three questions that maybe you've wondered before in your life. And, And so I want you to think through with me this morning kind of these three questions. Did Jesus really live? That's a fair question. Did he really die? And if so, maybe the most important question, did he really come back to life? <laughs> now if you're skeptical this morning and, and you're uncertain of that and you've come this morning because somebody invited you or, or maybe you're seeking hope, I, know, kinda, I want you to understand where I want to get to this morning. I'm probably not going to convince you 100% this morning if you're skeptical. I'm, I'm not really looking to do that. I, I just want to create within your heart a desire to know more. I want you to walk away this morning and go, you know, that's interesting what he said. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. There, there's some truth to that, and I'd like to know a, a little bit more because I would say to you as a believer and as a person who's studied this most of my life, and many of you would attest to this, that there's so much evidence for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't have time this morning to get into it. Not at all. But there's just so much there. There's fulfilled prophecy. There are eyewitness accounts in the Gospels. There are extra-biblical or things that are not found in the Bible. There's the conversion of Paul we're going to talk about. There are followers that, that trusted that his resurrection was so real they went to their very death in order to believe it, in order to prove it. And so this morning I want to spend just a, just a few minutes with you if I could. And, and just kind of think through those questions and answer those questions. And, and my prayer this morning for you is that if you're already a believer, that you celebrate what the Lord has done through His death, burial, and resurrection. But if you're not a believer... If you're here this morning just because, and, and there's some questions in your heart, and I would never ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you But if that's you, just allow the Spirit for just a little while to speak to you, not through what I say, but through His Word and through truth. I believe if you do that, your eyes may be open to some things you've never considered before. And so I want to turn our attention this morning, if you have your Bibles, to Isaiah chapter 53. All right. Isaiah 53. If you have the Bible with you, you can look at it, of course, where you are. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. You can read along with me, and you may say, why would we on Easter Sunday morning preach out of the Old Testament? I mean, aren't there some gospel accounts of the resurrection of Christ? Aren't there some things in Matthew, Mark, Luke? Didn't Paul say some things in 1 Corinthians? Didn't Peter talk about the resurrection? Why are we spending time in the Old Testament? We're going to talk about those New Testament accounts, but here's why I want you to to understand the importance of Isaiah 53. This is crucial, especially to the skeptic, and for you to understand the depth of what the Lord has given us in his scripture. Here's truth, and this is important for you to know. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, if you've been with us for a period of time and you've heard me preach out of Isaiah, you've probably heard that before. But if you're new or maybe you haven't been in a while, you need to understand this book that we're about to read out of predates Christ by seven centuries. Now, that's not a a biblical answer. That's not a Christian answer. That's an archaeological fact. It's a truth. It's undisputed. Okay, So everything we're about to read, we know was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. It was discovered to the 1940s with the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Dead Sea Scrolls contained an entire copy as we're about to read of the book of Isaiah. Now as I go through all this stuff this morning and kind of teach through this, I want you to know you should go look this up on your own. If you're skeptical and and unsure this morning, don't take my word for it. Go look it up. Go read about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the book of Isaiah and understand it was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, but it does, and you're going to see this in a second. I'm going to prove this to you biblically. It points to, I believe, the clearest prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ found anywhere in the Scripture. So if you're uncertain this morning about Christ and about His resurrection, just Figure out in your mind how Isaiah could have written this hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. That's the first question you need to answer if you're skeptical. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible as well. The words of Isaiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Right? So Isaiah already knows there's some skeptical people. (laughs) And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now up to this point, we could argue this is somebody else. But really beginning in verse 4, it's going to come into clear focus for us surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted here's the first thing I want you to see in his life Jesus understood sorrow In his life, Jesus understood Saul. Look at how verses one, two, and three really kind of begin. Because Isaiah paints this picture of this person that the readers in seventh century BC wouldn't have understood. But we understand clearly because of our understanding of Christ. Isaiah begins to paint this picture of this man, verse 2, for he grew up. Verse 3, for he was despised and rejected. Verse 4, for he has borne our grief. Right, so, so we're learning about this man 700 years before the birth of Christ that was afflicted, that was sorrowful, that was grief. Uh, laden and born with grief and people esteemed him not he was smitten and afflicted and we ask the question who 700 years before the birth of Christ was Isaiah talking about well as we begin to flesh this out and see over the next several verses it's going to become clear and clear that Isaiah is looking ahead to Christ Now, here's the beautiful part about the life of Christ he, he understood sorrow I mean, Jesus understood sorrow. He was despised and rejected and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. I just wonder if anybody came this morning bearing grief. Did anybody come this morning with some sorrow in their heart? Anybody come unaware or unsure of what the future is going to call? Did anybody come this morning, they they feel like the the weight of the world was upon them? Have you ever wished you could kind of just take that weight and hand it to somebody else you ever dreamed that would be possible? Have you prayed that the Lord would just send somebody your way that could help you and allow you to walk through that difficult time? I'll never forget when Amy and I were first married. We lived, it's almost 20 years ago now. We lived in the, in the metropolis, the huge city of Preston, Georgia. Anybody ever been to Preston? Population 375, I looked it up yesterday. It was halfway between Columbus, Georgia, and Albany, Georgia, and we were teaching schools in different places, and we got married in December. We were both teachers. We had a week off, and that was the time to do the honeymoon, so we got married in December. We looked for a place in the middle. We moved to Preston, Georgia, and when I say we lived out in the middle of nowhere, I mean we lived out in the middle of nowhere. Jimmy Carter owns about 5,000 acres in that part of the country. We lived literally in the middle of his 5,000 acres, the guy that owned the property right in the middle of his thing. So we told people, here's how you get to our house. You go down this country road, this two-lane country road, turn off the paved road onto the dirt road, drive for a couple of miles, and when the power lines turn off the dirt road, you follow the power lines to our house. That's how you got to where we live. So out there, if you heard somebody talking, there was a problem. <laughs> like, what are they doing out here? And so we can get up. I had to get up early in the morning to go to work. I had to drive to Albany, which is about about an hour drive every morning for me we only did this for half a year and it was in the winter time and I would get up before sun came up hours sometimes before the sun came up and I would drive down that little road and it was just desolate and dark and nothing and I used to drive I know you're gonna your your level of uh, my level of coolness is gonna rise when you hear this I used to drive a Dodge Dart I don't know if they've ever been cool but the model I drove was not in fact cool but that thing got me back forth to work, except for it had these minor issues. You know, every now and then, the, the accelerator would get stuck. That's kind of a problem. Uh, and every now and then, it just wouldn't run. And I remember specifically one morning, I got up to go to work. And it, I mean, it's like you can't see the hand in front of your face kind of dark. And you drive down this little dirt. And I'm halfway down this dirt road, and my car just stopped. I mean, it just Everything. Lights, engine, everything. And I just rolled to a stop. And I got out. And that was before cell phones. You know, was, kids, there was a time when we'd all have cell phones. You know, we didn't have a flashlight on our phone. Believe it or not, the the light in the car wasn't working. I was out of luck. And I was like, Lord, I don't know, what am I going to do? I mean, it was 6 in the morning, maybe pitch black, dark, nothing. And I just said this little prayer, Lord, I need somebody to kind of come along and help me. <laughs> and out of the blue for for no apparent reason. I didn't ever see any traffic on this dirt road. From the opposite direction this truck came up over the top of the hill and he literally just pulled right up beside our wall and rolled down the window. He said, you need some help? I said, if you've got a flashlight, man, that'd be great. He handed me a flashlight. I popped the hood as if I knew what I was doing, you know. (laughs) Made sure he wasn't looking, you know, like I'm bent over and just, Lord, you got to do something. I have no idea what I'm doing in here. Wiggled a a couple of wires, cranked right up miracle of the Lord man I just thought like an angel of the Lord had descended upon the engine and it cranked up and I'll never forget that was 20 years ago as silly as it sounds and as strange as it may sound in this moment man I was desperate I needed somebody to come along beside me and walk beside me and help me kind of bear the burden of what had gone on sometimes we need that don't we even in the small little moments when our car breaks down even the moment at work when you're struggling with your boss or an employee even in the in the school students when you're sitting at the table and somebody says something sometimes we just need somebody to walk along beside us we need to understand jesus understands our sorrow he he understands our grief he understands our pain. He, he understands our struggle. And now, here's what some of, you, some of you are saying. Listen, Adam, I, I get that. This is a great passage of Scripture. And if Jesus had been real, I would believe this happened. But do, do we really know that this is actually true? This is the Bible. Can, can we trust it? Did, did we know Jesus really lived? Well, listen, this is the moment where I could spend probably uh, 35 or 40 minutes reading the quotes that I have about Jesus outside of the Bible. I don't have time. If you want to meet with me next week, I would be happy to take you to lunch and go through all the accounts outside the Bible. So just for a second, I would never do this, and I'm not advocating that we do it now. But if you were to set this aside and ignore this, you can prove historically that Christ existed. I'm going to give you one extra biblical. I'm going to give you one letter, very simply, and then I'm going to move on. I don't have time to prove this, but if you're skeptical, I'm just painting a picture for you here. Pliny the Younger, who was a a historian and wrote a letter to the Roman emperor Trajan, Pliny was not a believer, not a Christian, never converted. I want you to listen to what he says. The Christians... This is, these are his words, writing to the emperor, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, and they sang in verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. Now, now there are so many examples historically of the life of Christ. It's, it's really almost undisputable. Very few people even try to take the time to prove that he didn't really exist. All scholars, almost every historian, archaeologist say Jesus really lived. Okay, so let's move past that. Let's at least assume for a minute that he really did live. Let's assume Isaiah 53 is speaking of him. Let's assume that he can take our sorrows. And let's learn a little bit more this morning now in verse 5. So let's continue. Isaiah 53 verse 5 speaking of Jesus now you're going to begin to see the the picture of crucifixion even more clearly here he was pierced That's, that's an important word right there pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds or by his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Out of Isaiah 53, 700 years before the birth of Christ, through his death we are healed. Through his death, we are healed. I want you to listen to the words and the phrases that Isaiah uses in the few verses I just read out of chapter 53. Listen to the imagery that Isaiah gives us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was wounded, verse 7, like a lamb that's led to slaughter. Verse 8, he was cut out of the land of the living. Verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked. Right? We, we see this picture. We see this clear indication that this suffering servant that Jesus prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ was going to take up our sorrows. He was going to take up our grief. He was going to suffer. He was going to be beaten and crushed and killed and buried in a grave powerful imagery now some of you are thinking that's just that's kind of too good to be true right I mean how could this man, 700 years before the birth of Christ, speak of things like this? It, it must be made up. There, there can't be any other evidence to prove this is true. Well, I, I don't want to go through all the scripture this morning, but, but an interesting study for you, and again, I'll do this with you in private in my office if you want to or one day over lunch, is to kind of compare the gospel accounts of the, re- the resurrection and the crucifixion of Christ with the accounts of Isaiah 53. And so we, we see examples very simply, like Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, right? So the idea of, of the weight and, and carrying something, right? Taking up our uh, infirmities. John chapter 19, verse 17, the eyewitness account of the crucifixion says, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So there's this sense that he picked up. There's this sense that he he bore the weight of the cross. There's this sense that he he carried. We see that in Isaiah 53. We see in the Gospels, verse 5 of Isaiah 53. He was pierced. That's an important word for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. John chapter 19. Now fast forward to the Gospel account, verse 34. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Right, We see this picture in the cross of the death of Christ through cru- crucifixion. We see it in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. We see it in the Psalms, frankly. We see it in the book of Numbers. There are all sorts of accounts we could walk through this morning. Old Testament prophecy, looking ahead to the crucifixion of Christ. All of the Gospels tell the same account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Peter writes about it. Paul writes about it. There are numerous accounts in the Scripture of the crucifixion and death of Christ. I want to do something. I want to just give you a minute to kind of process this because, again, I want to speak to the skeptic for just a moment here. If you're struggling with, you know, is, is this real? I mean, you've, you've presented some pretty interesting evidence that Jesus lived. Got that. Okay, I'll, I'll check that off the box. You've kind of demonstrated now that, that he died. I mean, Isaiah 53 is... You, you almost have to be willingly ignorant not to see the crucifixion in Isaiah 53. You've kind of shown now in in some New Testament scriptures, obviously the the crucifixion was real, but are there accounts outside of this? Adam, I'm still a little skeptical. Are there things we can see outside of scripture that that point to this truth? So I've got a couple of quotes for you. I just want to, again, demonstrate that all of this can be proven outside of the Word of God. I'm just opening up your eyes to this truth. I'm opening up your eyes. I want to take your skepticism and see if we can kind of pierce through it and get to the truth. Tactus, who was a senator, he was a historian of the Roman Empire. Listen to what he said. He said that this is outside the Scripture now. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero, we've all heard of Nero, fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Now look at that next word, Christus. You know that is, don't you? Christus, from whom, name, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So this is, a, this is a Roman account speaking of the Christians, speaking of how they were crucified, speaking of Christus, who suffered the extreme penalty. Right? He was crucified. I've got another one, Lucian. He was a satirist. He he didn't even like believers. He wrote against Christianity. Listen to what he said. The Christians you know worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. Now, again, just, just for the sake of time, I don't have time this morning to get into all of the extra biblical accounts. But again, you can make a very compelling case historically based on what's written. That not only did Christ live, but that Christ actually died and was crucified. But, but here's the question that we need to kind of understand. This is important, Ryan. Right? This, this will get to the heart of why this is important for us this morning. So what if he lived? Lots of people in history did. So what if he died? Everybody that's ever lived did. So what if he was crucified? Lots of people over the years have been crucified. What's the purpose? Why does that matter to me? If you pull up Isaiah 53, 6 again for me, I want to show you what matters to you. It's very important. All we like sheep have gone astray right there. That's talking to you. We have turned everyone to his own way, and this is important. Here's the connection with Christ. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. you understand that? The, the sin that you've committed the mistakes that you've made in your life, the, the damage you've done, all of those things, all of that sin, all of those failures, all of those, in the words of Scripture, iniquities have been taken off of you and because of who Christ is, it's been laid upon Him. He gave His life on the cross for our sins. He took our place. That's the significance of the crucifixion. You understand that? So, Sin requires punishment. (laughs) Iniquity requires punishment. God said the sins of these people have to be punished. What are we going to do? Jesus stepped out of heaven and in Romans 5.8 says that while while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Simple... And profound, it's the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life through him. That's what, the, that's what the crucifixion did. Jesus took our place. Let's continue the story, Isaiah 53, verse 10. I want you to listen now how this ends. So we've seen he, he's lived, we see that in the Bible, outside the Bible. He's died, we've seen that in the Bible, we see it outside the Bible. Yet, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now, that's important. I'm not going to get into that, but it wasn't an accident, You understand that? Jesus wasn't arrested against his will. It's The will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Awfully important. We'll come back to it in a second. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here's truth number three. Through his resurrection, we live again. What a beautiful picture of redemption. Now, I want you to notice something pretty amazing in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11. If you'd pull that back up if you would for me, Wanda, a 700 years before the birth of Christ. I want you to listen. We've, we've already met this man now who's going to suffer. He's familiar with suffering. He's familiar with sorrows. He's going to bear our grief. He's going to bear our iniquities. We know that he's going to be killed. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be put in a grave. We kind of painted this picture in Isaiah 53 of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. But I want you to look now in verse 11 out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied some translations say he shall see the light of life and be satisfied let me ask you a question a man that has been beaten and crucified and killed and put in a grave can that dead man see probably not Can that dead man experience the light of life? Probably not. Can that dead man be satisfied? Probably not. Can that dead man receive a portion? Probably not. I I would say to you, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah is extremely clear. This is a prophecy of a man who was crucified, dead, buried, and then is alive again. It's the clearest picture in my mind in the old testament of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the gospels say the same thing that he rose again. Paul says it. First Corinthians says it. Peter says it over and over and over we read in scripture that Jesus came back to life. But I want to I want to pause for a second because I want to kind of get in to the, to the skeptics' mindset just for a second. So I, I'm just kind of speaking to you right now that may kind of question this and, and you're uncertain. I want to give you again just a little more truth. I think Isaiah 53 is incredibly compelling. And if you don't believe this morning, please come and explain to me how Isaiah came up with all this. 700 years before the birth of Christ. Just just help me understand because I'm very confused. It seems very clear to me. But I want to give you, again, I I just want to kind of set this aside for a second. I want to think through with you just for a few moments. Just give me a few more minutes kind of to think through this logically because here's something we need to understand about the resurrection of Christ. None of us were there. Clearly. Nobody we know was there. Nobody for 2,000 years has been there, right? So we have to kind of take what we have and piece together the truth based on all the different resources we have. Now, one of the most important things we need in kind of proving the truth of the resurrection is kind of the eyewitness account. I mean, we, we use that in our court cases today to prove somebody's innocent or guilty, don't we? That's kind of the, the, the foundation. If you don't have an eyewitness all the time, it's just too bad. If you have one, we can prove guilt. We can prove innocence. When you have a wreck in your car, the police officer wants an eyewitness, right? Eyewitness accounts are important. Now, here's what you're going to do, skeptic. Just stay with me for a second here. Here's what you're going to do. Well, that's fine, Adam, but all the eyewitness accounts that I've ever read are found in the Bible, and I don't believe the Bible's true. So I'm just going to kind of dismiss all of the eyewitness accounts of the apostles. I'm going to dismiss all the eyewitness accounts of of the people that uh, lived and wrote in uh, the New Testament. I'm going to dismiss all of those things because I don't believe the Bible is true. Let's just do this just for a second. Just just think through this with me. Whether or not you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, you have to admit it's a historical book. Nobody disputes that it's historical. Nobody disputes it's been around for over 2,000 years. Nobody disputes that it contains incredible information about our past. You can't simply say, even if you don't believe it's the Word of God, even if you don't believe God wrote it, you have to admit that there are eyewitness accounts written in this book of the resurrection of this man. What do you do with those? I mean, somebody wrote it down. Somebody saw something. Somebody wrote it to the point that it continued to be copied and passed down for centuries. Various different accounts from various different places, from various different people. Some of them became believers. Some of them did not. What do you do with that? Now, some of you say, well, okay, all right. So So there are eyewitness accounts. They're written down. I I grant you that at least we can say this is a historical book and somebody somewhere thought they saw something, they wrote it down, but maybe all those people were lying. Maybe they just made it all up. Maybe they just said they saw it and they didn't really see it, all of these people. I I want you to just kind of think with me just for a second. Can you imagine how many people would have to be involved in that lie for it to stick for hundreds of years? Chuck Colson, who was involved in the Watergate break-in back in the 1970s, later became a believer and a prominent pastor and teacher. I want you to listen to what Chuck Colson said. I think it's a fascinating quote. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Eve, everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for 3 weeks. <laughs> You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. right? And so ask yourself the question, why would they lie? These were hunted men. What they wanted to happen was for this just to go away, right? They, they ran and hid in seclusion. They were found in the upper room. They were terrified. What would take them from a group of scared people hiding in the upper room, fearful of the Roman authorities, to a man that would stand on the temple court and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when it meant arrest and eventual death for him? What would lead these men to do this? We kind of have to come to this conclusion that they saw something they, they didn't make this up. Well, they, they just hallucinated. Really? All of them at the same time? When you begin to, to just really kind of think through the evidence, you begin to kind of come to this place where there, there's not a lot that can explain what happened other than a real resurrection. I mean, these men saw something. It led them to change their lives. It, it led them to give up their lives. It caused them to be bold when they were afraid. What do we do with all that? You say, okay, were, were there things outside of the Bible that may be proved? And I've got a few more quotes and I don't have time this morning to give you all of it but here are just a few. Polycarp, I think I have him up. I want you to see this quote. Speaking of the followers of Jesus. For they love not this present world but him who died for us and for our sakes was raised again by God from the dead. Clement, I have that one. Letter to the Corinthian church. Having therefore received a charge and having been fully assured through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and confirmed in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost. They went forth with the glad tidings that the kingdom of God should come. There's just all sorts of of extra biblical examples. So we're we're piecing together this evidence that that the disciples saw something. It changed them. It it led them to, to boldness away from fear. They went to their very death believing it. It started this movement that still lasts today. We've got Roman leaders that speak about it. We got eyewitness accounts in the first century. We kind of have to come to this place where we say, listen, something happened. 2,000 years ago, something happened. Whether I believe this is the infallible word of God or not, something happened and you need to, just help me me get to this point in in your heart. You need to answer these questions. Just just allow yourself to kind of think through that for a second. You need to answer these questions. What happened that day? What happened in the life of Christ? What happened that morning? What happened when those women went to the tomb? Because the way you answer that question affects not only the way you live now, but the way you live forever. Maybe the the best example is the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was a staunch opponent of Christianity. He, He made it his life's work to defeat Christianity. Now, the Apostle Paul was was an eyewitness that he he lived during this time period. He didn't live 500 years later. He was kind of on the scene when it happened. I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. I have it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is Paul. This is important. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, most scholars and historians believe that the way he phrased that, first importance of what I also received, they believe that this was kind of an oral tradition that he had received. Right, so he he received this oral tradition, which, by the way, they didn't have. Obviously, cell phones, internet, iPads, paper and pen, notebooks. Writing was difficult, so he received it through an oral tradition. Here's what he says: that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And I just, I'm, I'm finishing up here. Just a couple more minutes. This was written around 50 A.D. Right? Scholars really don't debate that. Most scholars think that this was about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. An oral tradition had already been passed around. People had already heard it. People had already uh, uh, experienced it and knew it. So what did Paul receive that changed him from a man that persecuted believers, that hated Christianity, to the most prolific writer of the New Testament, to a man that loved the Lord and gave his life for him? Very simply, he experienced the risen Savior. Now I, I've given you a lot of stuff. I've given you a lot of things this morning. There's so much more. And I wish I had more time. I'm happy to to share more information with you. But 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 I want you to know something. I've been I've been praying about this sermon for a long time and struggling with it and the idea of salvation and the person that's skeptical. I pray if you're a little skeptical, your your mind has been open to some truth this morning. But I, I, I laid in bed late last night And you talked to my wife I got up four or five times I tried to go to sleep Got up Prayed a little bit Wrote Went back to bed Got up I just over I Just real restless and I, and I was just laying there Just kind of crying out to the Lord And I thought to myself Lord this is the greatest story ever told And for whatever reason The Lord has given me 30 minutes Or maybe 45 this morning I don't know 45 minutes There'll be 50 if you don't listen Okay so pay attention For whatever reason, he's given me this opportunity to share with you in 45 minutes the truth of the resurrection and all of its implications and explain it. It's impossible. And so the Lord just kind of said to me in that moment, and this is when I finally went to sleep, he said, just tell him he's risen. That's it. And if the Spirit is speaking to you right now, If the Spirit has opened your eyes to this truth for the first time ever, I pray that you would allow the Lord to do something incredible in your heart. And so I want to do something this morning. I don't ever do this. Back when we were on our campus, I want to do it this morning something very different. Stacy, y'all can go ahead and make your way up if you would. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to close your eyes. And and we're going to pray here in just a minute as as the musicians come up and as, as we begin kind of moving into the final invitation and and giving you an opportunity to respond but i want to do something and i'm doing it because i care deeply about your hearts and i care deeply about where you are in your walk and i care deeply about all you're struggling with and, and all you're going through and so i just want to ask a very simple question i'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up nobody's looking around i'm not going to call you out i'm not going to come pull you down front i just would like to know in my heart how I can pray for you and how the ministers of this church can pray for you if you're struggling this morning for for whatever reason if you're struggling with sorrow or guilt or uncertainty or issues at work or and you said, you know what Adam I, I hear what you're saying I, I appreciate this truth I would just really love some prayer this morning without anybody looking around just slip your hand up who could I pray for this morning who could I pray for this morning about issues there's a hand more hands good It's okay. More hands in the back. More hands are raised now as we get more comfortable. It's okay. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Now I want to do something else. I want to take one final step here and then I'm going to pray for us. And we've got ministers standing by. They're going to be down front here with me. We're going to have some ministers over on the side. If you want to walk down the side instead of all the way down the front for some prayer. But I just want you one more time before you look up before I pray. If maybe for the first time ever you've sensed the Spirit moving and you sense that maybe he's doing a work in your heart that you can't quite explain and maybe you'd like to know a little bit more about salvation without embarrassing anybody, just raise your hand up and put it right back down. Anybody? Anybody interested this morning in knowing more, in hearing more? and wanting to know about Christ. We're going to be available down front for you. If you want to come and pray, if you want to ask questions, if if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, we'll be standing by. Father, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the passage in Isaiah, Father, and your great providence. You gave it to us 700 years before the birth of Christ. It paints the clearest picture in the Old Testament of Christ. There are accounts outside of Isaiah, all in the Scripture. There are accounts outside the Bible, Father. There's simple logic. I witness accounts Roman testimony Father there's just a compelling case that something pretty incredible happened that morning we believe that you came back from the dead Father I pray that that belief would fall upon the hearts of every person in this room right now that they would sense your power they would sense your presence may you receive honor and glory in everything that we say and do it's in Jesus name we pray Amen you can stand this morning sing with us as we worship together